Welcome to B Plot Podcast, the podcast where we take a look at some of the biggest movies from days gone by. Mostly ignore it. Look at the ones come out on the exact same day. And uh, we are continuing our Oscar special. Sam, how are you? How are you doing? Just with the general vibe of getting through these movies, are you are you finding them quite tedious, or are you feeling good about it? To lead into the film of today, this was the turning point for me. This was the turning point where I was like, now. I've gone from finding it tedious to I'm really enjoying it. Mm. Uh, yeah. How about you? I would ex- I would say the exact same thing. Um, because we do this podcast, we watch two movies a week, which I actually think in today's society, people don't really fuck with movies the same way they mm. used to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I have forgotten that I actually really like movies. <laughs> I, actually, I actually really enjoy cinema and watching films. Um, especially when I don't have to do things. And um, there was an element of that when we decided to do this, uh, that we were going to to watch these movies, um, just to kind of keep up with what is happening around cinema uh, in 2021. And I have to say, The Sound of Metal, which is today's, today's film, um, magnificent. Magnificent film. Um, yeah, it was fucking spectacular. Oh, my God. Um, I think... Uh, and I'll lay out the case for why I think this is now shot to the top for me mm-hmm. of um, best picture um, of the movies that we've covered on the pod so far, which is The Father, uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, and Mank. And Judas and the Black Messiah. And Judas and the Black Messiah, of course. I think this is um, I think this is shot to the top for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say as well, I... I I don't know if you agree, but I'm going to say if anyone is listening to this already wants to watch The Sound of Metal, stop this, go watch it and then come back because this is a film that is best to go in as blind as possible, I think. Uh, But the... I know know what you mean. I'm still like... I'm still undecided because obviously I've seen one more that you haven't yet. Um, But this is really one that just takes your expectations of what a movie like this has been and elevates it to another level. And I was, I watched this yesterday with my partner, like in bed, both thinking, oh, like, are we up for this? Are we up for this at the moment? And and my partner is is not a metal fan at all. So didn't really like fuck with any rock music. And there's that first scene is just him just hammering the drums at this like hardcore metal concert and once that's done, that's that's it. That's the end of the metal for the movie. There's there's one more like half scene, but this is really about like it, it toes in line with the father, where Riz Ahmed is uh, a great metal drummer, um, and he starts going deaf. Um, so, it, in terms of in line with the father, what this does really well is it takes you through his journey on this. Uh, you know, desperately trying to raise money for a, an expensive surgery uh, to, and then living in a deaf community that help people adjust to deafness uh, through his perspective, much in the same way the father does it with Anthony Hopkins' uh, dementia, where it's you're not quite sure what's going on because his memories are juggling around. In this, I felt that same kind of like fear and dread where they cut in and out of what he can understand. I think, um, I think you're correct. I think there's some, Riz Ahmed just puts in a fucking 
lights out performance. Yeah. Um, I think Anthony Hopkins will probably still win it because Anthony Hopkins is old. And like I said, when we discussed the father, um, uh, not to be crass, but God knows when we can be able to <laughs> to nominate Anthony Hopkins again. Mm. Um, but Riz Ahmed more than deserves it for this role. To an extent, um, I think there's like two kinds of acting that the Academy likes to award. Biographical, mm. you know, you, you're playing uh, Fred Hampton. Yeah. And people, because we have something to compare it against. Mm. And then also um, the, uh, and this this is not this, so this is almost a disservice to describe it to um, to this movie, but like I never learned how to read <laughs> the, the um, you know, the, the person living with a uh, dis- disability or the person having to transform themselves somehow. Because mm. I feel like, like, you know who's a really good actor is, uh, this is uh, parallel to this. I think it's Saoirse Ronan. You so, know uh, her? Oh, Saoirse? 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 Uh, Saoirse? Uh, Saoirse? But you know what I'm talking about. I, I the, the, was she, Okay, I haven't seen it, but was she the one in Ladybird? Yes. Ladybird? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she's in... Um, uh, little woman and uh but like, i've seen her but i don't know if i've actually ever seen anything with her in it i think i've just seen so many posters of people either angry or in love with it you know what she's really good at acting it's like she is so good at acting um she makes like really small imperceptible choices where you're compelled by her but she's not like um, yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn it. Like, hell. <laughs> she's not like she's not like it's the equivalent of like a soul singer like whispering to you rather than belt. Even though they can, they have the range to belt out everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Riz Ahmed does what he does really well in this is there's a temptation to play this kind of character as angry and loud and screaming all the time. But a lot of what Riz Ahmed does is just the kind of quiet choices of frustration and rage mm. of like working through the stages of grief but like really like quietly or like sitting there and like tapping his foot and going okay so what, what are you saying mm. like just like very like the impatience when the guy's trying to explain to him what the scenario is and it's like no nah, we're not going to do that i think a, uh, a more a, a, an easier choice for an actor would be to be like to cry and scream and go go crazy but he doesn't do that he just kind of yeah uh, taps his foot to so you how frustrated it is. Yeah, well, that's, uh, it's a, I mean, it's another thing. And I think that credit to the director as well, because that has to be in there seeing as his character flaw and journey is to finding peace, right? This is, and this is the, I, how, how much did you relate to this character on a, on I, a I re- scale of one to 10? I related, I would say an eight. Yeah, I would agree. I would be like, I I'm an eight. I was, because can I tell you what I related the most? Because this is a movie about this guy. Uh, just to give you a further bit of characterization, um, Riz Ahmed also, uh, the reason he has to go into this deaf community, um, which is like essentially just a, a place where everyone's deaf and um, they find a new way to move through the world, is that Riz Ahmed is also a addict and he's four years sober and his partner on the road, his uh, his partner who he's in this band with, uh, she realizes that if he, because he smokes a cigarette, and she realizes that his deafness is, it's a high likelihood that he's going to relapse um, into drug use. And 
she realizes that she has to do something for him. She can't help him anymore. And there's a there's so many scenes where like she's where he's like, just don't give up on me. And like, and like a, a beautiful scene um, where he she wakes up in the morning and he's thrashing, and she's like, how about you? How about you care about me, huh? How about you fucking care about him? Like, can't you support? Can't you just can't support you, me then? Can't you just support me? And the beauty of that moment is that like she wants to more than anything, but she can't. She yeah. doesn't have it. She doesn't have it. It's impossible for her to do it. So he feels abandoned, but you also understand that like that abandonment, like it's not that. It's that she mm. loves him, but she can't do anything. And I think when he's in this place, and like, did, did you notice this scene? There's a scene um, where he gets, in, he sneaks in, he reads a little email from her because he has to give away his phone. He has to give away these car keys. He's full immersion within this deaf community. And he's like uh, fixing, uh, fixing a roof. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Fixes a roof. And the guy, the lead guy, who's absolutely excellent, this actor should also get an award. Yeah. Uh, tells him, no, 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 you don't have to fix anything around yet. Sit in a room, write on this page, mm. and just be quiet. Get up at 5.30 in the morning and write. And if you can't write anything, then just sit quietly for a bit. Mm. And then when you can't do that anymore, just write for a bit. And because even the fixing of the roof is kind of like him uh, trying to distract himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's what's so fucking good about him. Because and I, I would say it's exactly tied to the same thing. I would say an eight for for relatability to this character. Obviously, there's this thing where I look at I look at the character he's playing, and as a guy who was doing class A's when I was a teenager as well, and spent a long time sober. Uh, I I understand that skittishness and that like want to constantly do something, but it's uh, it is it is the fact that no matter what it is, even if it looks productive, he's never enjoyed peace. And I f that teenage anger, it's just like this moment frozen in time where Riz Ahmed is a, a little bit older than us, I think, in he's real like life. He's like thirty eight. He's almost forty, doesn't? Oh, look, really? My man, my man looks great. Jesus my man looks great. Christ. Moisturizing toners. <laughs> And his body is fantastic. He's yeah. jacked up. Yeah, yeah, looks beautiful. Um, but is is and it's so it's so believable because it, it is this like hardcore metal drummer where it's he's sort of frozen at that point in angst. And as well, I think this this film should be another lesson to screenwriters in how to do expositional dialogue, right? Because there's no there's no flashbacks or time skips in the movie. It's just. Yeah, like everything is in this cohesive order. It's what you said, right? He's been sober about four years. And the way we learn that is the um the head of the community interviewing him. And he says, uh, and how long have you been sober? Four years. Um, and he's like, and then really quickly in the conversation afterwards, Riz Ahmed starts getting skittish and doesn't like what he's hearing. So wants to go out and check on Lou and the, the, Lou is his girlfriend. And he goes, how long have you been to, how long have you guys been together? And he says, four years. And you're like, that tells us everything that we need to know about their relationship in two sentences. Um, and I think that that is kind of the real mastery of this film, right? As well, to you're telling the story of of a guy and his relationship to sound, you know? So uh, I have to say, my favorite scene, it's a bait one, but my favorite scene in the whole movie was the slight. The, when he's with the kid on the slide and in this scene this is this is the halfway point of the movie he's 
starting to become comfortable with his deafness. He's starting to communicate and like laugh and just live a normal life. Uh, but the one thing obviously he can't do or he thinks he can't do is drum. And this kid's getting irritable in a talent show. So he takes the kid outside to the playground and the kid just starts tapping on on the slide, which obviously sends the vibrations and then Riz realizes that he can do that again. And I was like, that, that was... That was the tearjerker for me. That got that squeezed a couple tears out of me. Why I say I related to this as an eight. Um, I think we're coming to this kind of from different perspectives here because I thought it might speak to you as as a person who used to be um, an addict and a person. I think there's something there's something about the idea of being able to be still and finding peace that really relates to a lot of people. This is like a basic human need. In the, I think of myself. When I cook, I have a podcast on. Mm. Um, when I play PlayStation, I'm listening to music, I have a podcast on. Mm. When I am eating, I have to have a YouTube video up. Otherwise, I'm like, this, yeah. is, this is nuts. Um, it used to be, for me, the shower was basically like the only time I never had anything with me. But even that's kind of gone now. I listen to like podcasts and stuff when I'm in yeah. the shower. The only real times in my life where I have that stillness and the two things that is really when I'm when I'm writing, when I'm doing like writing stand-up comedy, when I'm writing jokes, mm. and when I'm on stage. Yeah. Where I'm yeah. completely like in the moment and there's nothing and I'm there's like a it's peace for me. Yeah. And I don't write nearly enough. And I think I reckon I don't write nearly enough because there's nothing to like because the act of sitting down and writing without any sort of interference is so hard yeah yeah for me even though it's a, a something that i'm at peace with yeah um and i think that is what he has to deal with the the, the thing that's like i can i can entirely relate to that the the idea of just like being able to sit and being able to accept um is something that's very difficult for us to do in terms of what, like, why I'm rating myself at an eight and not like a ten and through the roof is because I can't, <laughs> I can't drum and I can't play music that good, right? But and the reason I think that's important is because really this film, this film isn't about drumming. It's not about metal. It's not even about music. It's just about being incapable, feeling incapable of doing something that you love and having to find a new way around that. Uh, and how that relates to addiction, I think it's so important that he's, it's so important that he's an addict. Uh, and that he's he's been clean for four years because you're not telling... There's no heroin in the movie. And I think to characterise somebody who is getting over drug addiction in a film without the presence of any drugs is really important. Not just... It, not just as impressive in a storytelling manner of saying like, you know, in terms of like a Wizard of Oz smoke and mirrors, like, hey, made you think about drugs, no drugs, but also in a, uh, in a form of representation because we've, how many thousands of times have we seen like the crackhead crackhead? Do you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's just, it's a nothing character. And even when it's, you know, take bubbles from the wire, when it's like a really great, fully realized, almost perfect representation of a character, it's still so much about the drugs. And I'm like, but drug addiction isn't about the drugs. It's about the person, man. The, we all get, that's, you know, it's why some people can, like, I was never, I was never an alcoholic, you know? Like I, I could smoke crack all day. Beer, I'm kind of like, this is, what's this? This is, this, I mean, this sucks, like, right? 
Yeah. Beer for beer for me is is the is the green tea of drugs where I'm like this is I just ne like never had any craving for it but obviously for some people that devastates their lives and I'm like I think taking that and putting that on to just and that's that's really what the problem with addiction is I think is it's not it's not the drug it's not doing the thing it's not having fun it's it's the being it's making you incapable of doing the other things that you want to do in your life. I think it's important that you bring that up. It's not the drug. Um, as other, I don't know, I think it was Chappelle who pointed this out, that like, yo, if we could just get like, no, who was it? I think it might be Hannibal Barris. If we could just get white and black people to swap drugs, I think we would be fine. Because for some reason, um, the crack epidemic like destroyed <laughs> destroyed yeah. black America. But apparently there's like white people who smoke crack and then like the teachers <laughs> get up and they, yeah. they have a 401k and like an, uh, a retirement annuity and stuff. And they're yeah. like, yeah, they we smoke crack. Crystal meth, they can't handle it. Can't handle it. <laughs> the, the kind of coda to the film is really interesting. It's because uh, Lou, his, his partner, she's in, she's in Paris. Mm. And kind of the reason that Riz Ahmed goes to this really risky, expensive um, uh, procedure is he sees her performing, mm. uh, and he sees her, uh, and he sees he sees her moving on with her life, and like basically, you know, because so, she's also an artist, and he feels like his life is slipping away. He feels her slipping away, um, and so he sells everything so he can get this implant, and basically, I guess, get the band back together uh, in Paris, <laughs> and. Um, this is, I, I actually had a bit of a, a chuckle at this. Uh, he goes and he sees her dad, who is the Frenchest French motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have ever seen in my life. Like a Serge Gainsbourg ass fucking, I don't know if this guy is, but like, dude, this is like, this is like, I don't know if there's such a thing, but if he was not French, he was doing French face. <laughs> my, <laughs> the yeah. guy shows up. He's like, oh, can I cook you? Uh, can I cook you some eggs? And he cooks it. It's like, all right. And he's just this beautiful Parisian apartment with these high ceilings. And the dude is just there being urbane. And oh, like, it's yeah. like, oh, man, this is. And um, he's, he's at, completely at sea in this world. And that's when he realizes, you know, he sees her singing her mum's song. And she's, that was an interesting scene. What did you make of that when he sees her singing? Um, yeah. Basically the, not metal, like a, a... Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's, it's like a Edith Piaf type of song, right? Just the dad on piano and her on vocals. The, okay, the first thing is, right? Because this is, yeah, this, it also made me laugh. Because the reason is this is supposed to be the father's birthday party. Uh, so there's all of these guests and then the, the lead into the scene, you know, Riz Ahmed has just been like hanging around with this implant in, and the thing about the implant, you know, you can't really hear well. It sounds super fuzzy. It's worse than Skype. Uh, it, it seems like torture <laughs> to me. Um, but it, it's just him slowly like retreating and retreating away from these people, which is again, such a beautiful, like, I, I'm sorry. I do have to just lead us through. First time he arrives at the deaf community, he's sitting around the table, he can't sign, he doesn't know how to communicate, and everybody around him, we hear the noise that they're making as they're silently communicating. Uh, but then as that fades away, we just see him looking at these people making gestures he doesn't understand. It's really alienating and blah, blah, blah. Then at the midpoint of the film, when he's got comfortable, he's joining in. And those scenes just look, they're so good to watch. Just all of that. So that when you have the third act and he's had this operation and he's in his father's house, he can now actually hear, but he's 
more alienated yeah. from anyone at this party than before, which I, th- I think is great. But as as he's pushed to the furthest point, the father is insistent. He's like, it's my birthday. Uh, my daughter will sing this song with me. It's one I wrote for her mother, blah, blah, blah. And then they sing the most depressing off-key song that sounds like this... this song made me think of in the house in a heartbeat you know the 28 days later song where it was like mm-hmm. it's just that sort of slow monotonous building and i'm like yeah happy fucking birthday dude happy birthday dude <laughs> this is it was but 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 it's obviously he's riz you know we can hear it beautifully and it is kind of like a painfully beautiful song it's not a song i'd ever listen to again but also it just sa- it just sounds really like stagnant to me i was kind of annoyed that i not annoyed but this is i should have man i, I should have watched this in the in the cinema um because you know i got the you know i got the sound bar on deck <laughs> you know, you know, i got a good sound you know what i'm talking about i got a good sound on deck pow, pow. you know what it's like uh got the bow sound bar on deck you know you got to flex on them let them know how you feel. Me, you feel. specifically me, the guy with the <laughs> shitty TV that sounds like how Riz Ahmed hears at the end of the film anyway. <laughs> you know what's how, how funny that is? It's like you're just listening to it going like, I don't get it. I don't see the difference. It's, it's a regular same. movie. <laughs> no, um, I saved up for it. Don't worry. I saved up for it. Um, uh, I was annoyed that like I, this is how I experienced it. It was like in my lounge with my relatively, with my fine sound bar. Um, I would have loved to have been in the cinema and just locked in proper proper good sound. Um, uh, it has my favorite, one of my favorite things in movies, which I always think it, it, it's kind of built into the premise in this one, but like long periods of silence. Let's sit, let's sit with this movie and just, you know, let's sit here. Um, any any anyone making movies, ah, dude, just add more silence. It's it's such a good thing to have in your movie. It's just like it forces me to like, even if I'm like, and this really happens, but if I'm like on my phone or whatever, and there's just like long periods of silence, I'm like, what's going on? I need, mm, to, I, right. need to, I need to lean in more. Exactly, and that's the, and that's the other thing. Is it only you need it for the fucking juxtaposition? Even if you're making a loud as shit movie, you need it for the juxtaposition. They. Uh, what did we talk about? The Dark Knight, that film, you know, where like every second of it is scored. And you're like, okay, it's going to work out. It's probably going to work out if every second of the movie is scored. There's no yeah. tension. Uh, I feel, well, I mean, this is just a really fucking beautiful movie, like a truly mm. beautiful movie. Yeah. Go watch it. Uh, the, uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you is, tie into the question at the beginning, is what do you... Th- do you what do you think the films that we've watched so far represent for the Oscars? Like the fact that they've been nominated and where they're nominated, what do you think it means for the Oscars and how do you think that's changed? Do you, or do you think there's been a change from that in previous years? I do think there's been a change from it in previous years. I think more than anything now, the rise of the streamers um, has definitely Played a role. And I was thinking about The Sound of Metal as well. It's like, I wonder if the hype for it wouldn't, because this is Amazon Studios. Um, I wonder if the hype for it wouldn't have been different in a normal year and in a year where there's like a, a full festival circuit. And this is like A24 has released this little independent gym. 
and you know there's like a feel good story around it and it's like a, a ground swell of support but the fact that it is amazon studios and the fact that obviously it would be released in in the cinema but basically only so that it could be uh considered for awards not mm. for any yeah. actual reason really um i think that's what i've taken from this is the the need to acknowledge the streaming services and i think that they've done not great in it in my mm. opinion i think mank and trial of the chicago seven are the worst ones yeah uh of the seven yeah uh, by far of this by far of, yeah um, politically though i think it's very interesting i think um very cynically mm. and this is not me denigrating this at all but very cynically um the <laughs> the academy was like all right let's have a black movie Mm -hmm. right let's have a movie addressing women feminism sexism yeah. in the one side Oof, asian americans whew, they've had a rough go here's <laughs> yeah. here's, here's some movies which is not to say those movies don't deserve to be nominated and aren't good movies mm. and you can even make the case that this is probably how it should be yes yeah. it's an acknowledgement of this but I, but you can see how i'm like seeing is like yes yeah. like tick all of the boxes quickly before anyone accuses us of being so white again Mm. Well, uh, yeah, and well said. Because this is this is what I was interested by is because Trial of Chicago Seven and Mank, at this stage in what we've watched, both feel to me like the type of movies and the tone of movies that are Oscar winners, like in history. But these have uh, they do less quality, right? There's there's still quality, but it's it's like the quality has sort of dropped. Yeah. The production value has slightly dropped from what they would be before the streaming wars, before Netflix and Prime and all of this stuff. But I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking what's interesting, you've got Judas and the Black Messiah as a black story, promising young woman as a feminist story. Uh, this as a, an Asian, South Asian American, but played by a South Asian British guy. And then you've got Minari as, uh, as a, an East Asian drama. But I was also thinking as I was watching, I was like, the two, the Chicago 7 and Mank being by far the two worst, but yeah. the ones that stereotypically would most win the Oscars. I was like, this is, this is a good change. And I was thinking it can't just be the Oscars so white thing because, again, the tone of Judas, uh, Nomadland and Sound of Metal, of even though... They're the kind of films you sort of think are like, you know, they're classy, artsy movies. They're highbrow, but they're not the sort of ones that normally win Oscars because they're just a little bit too indie, a little bit too slow paced, a little bit not Pat America on the back back enough. I think this, I, and I'm doing it again, I think this might be tied to the superhero thing. I think this might have got to the, I think we might be at the end, now that we've had that last big Avengers movie, I think... I think we might be at like the fracture point where this phase is is now going to start dying and we have this like breath of like great fucking like real movie movies again because mm. we we had a taste in like 2015-16 where it was like those those superhero movies got so big that people started having to put money back into like B-movie dramas. So when I say B-movie, I mean like The Lobster, Birdman, Whiplash, uh, Inherent Vice. There was that 2015 Moonlight, those films that came out that were like banging, but there was like a two-year... That, that, was, that was basically like the rise of A24, right? Yeah. A24 getting it, getting it so right. Um, 
Also, by the way, Nomadland uh, by a Chinese American filmmaker. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, Chloe Zhao. So, like, yeah, I think there's definitely if <laughs> it is interesting because as I as I've railed against the the um the kind of narrowness I think of the representation debate. Uh, this year's Oscar class would actually be the best case for it. Yeah. As um, even if enforcing the Academy to be like, we have to acknowledge a black movie or more movies, at least there's a broader scope of movies at play, mm. which is, I think, a fundamental to the heart of it. My annoyance with it or my issue is always, is just representation isn't a, isn't a synonym or diversity isn't a synonym Mm. for goodness yeah it's a way to it's a metric by which to measure it but it is it it's not the only metric mm. but does this mean does this mean that the representation that is done corporately and ham-fistedly and disingenuously has been the foot in the door of the halloween movie where it, you know where the bad guy knocks on the door and the, they open it and they try and close the door, and they just wedge the foot in the door. Yeah, man, that's a great question. That's a great question. Because I, these, I don't think, yeah, I don't mm. think the answer is clear. But what, what do you think? Well, because I think the last three, one, the the Judas of the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, and uh, No Bad Lad, are three of the best films I've seen for fucking years. Like, in terms of having some mainstream popularity, I'm I'm, I'm looking back at the films that I've really enjoyed. Over the last five years, you know, since that A24 Rise of era, it was like, Sorry to Bother You, which took like three years to get a UK release date, did the festival circuit for ages before it got a fucking release. And they're just, and it's either that or I'm going back to older movies, but there are these just odd gems. Whereas this, I was like, Rah, I'm so excited now to watch Promising Young Woman and Minari. Yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen. Um, mm. Yeah, let's 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 leave it there. Let's Sorry, leave it yeah. There. yeah, let's leave it there. We have um, we're still gonna keep releasing these movies. Oh, sorry, we're gonna keep releasing these podcasts throughout the weekend. Um, we are recording on Sunday night, and so by Monday mm. we'll probably know who the who the Oscar winners are. But we'll try and get it yeah. up for you like sometime during the during the day. Um, in case you're one of those people who like, yeah. no, I have to see the Oscars live. I don't want to get any spoilers. Um, there's people like that so yeah man uh, let's leave it there um, Sound of Metal go and watch it absolutely fantastic uh, again let us know what you think of all of these movies um, at Lincoln on the mic on Instagram and also at Sam J. Golan peace <laughs>